Well, good morning, Journey. Really good to see you. My name is Brandon. If I hadn't had an opportunity to meet you yet, I'm the JCI Kansas campus pastor that we're going to be launching in just a couple short months, and I get to hang out with you this morning. You know, I'm probably the world's worst snorkeler. Has anybody ever had an opportunity to snorkel? I'm the world's worst snorkeler. And every time I would go snorkeling, I would think this is going to be the time where it finally clicks and I understand how to breathe and I can just relax in the water. We were on a family vacation in the Florida Keys and and I even thought about not even using this illustration because it's just a little salt in the wound on this cold, uh, wintry morning, but I'm going to use it anyways. Um, We were on a family vacation to the Florida Keys and we were told you need to go snorkeling at Sombrero Reef. Now, Sombrero Reef is a beautiful reef just a little bit off off the shore where there's a old shipwreck. You can see 100 feet down to the bottom of the ocean floor, large, beautiful fish and, and beautiful coral reef. And they said, you've got to go check out this site and go snorkeling. And so we take a boat ride out to the reef and uh, my family put on their gear. They jumped right out of the boat. No problem. They started snorkeling on the surface of the water. And then it was my turn. And I put on my headgear, I put on the, you know, the pipe thing, this thing you're supposed to breathe out of, and I jump out of the boat and land in the water, and the first thing that happens is water goes down into my tube. It's the very first thing. And I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it's a moment of panic for me. I began to choke. Um, I couldn't breathe. I started hyperventilating. I got really anxious, and as my family floated off into the water, enjoying this time, I quickly climbed back into the boat and I took pictures. That, that was my journey that day. I never actually got to see Sombrero Reef. You know, maybe you started out 2017 just like I do every time I go snorkeling. Like, this is going to be the best year yet. And, and, and 2017 started off great. And then all of a sudden, because of circumstances, you felt anxious you felt overwhelmed, Um, you you became out of breath, you quickly became out of breath, and you felt for just a moment in periods of time in 2017, you felt like you were drowning. That is why we are launching 2018 with a new theme. Our theme for 2018 that we hope that you embrace is this thought, that we want you to experience times of refreshing. Times of refreshing. That's our theme for 2018. We want 2018 for you to feel like you are refreshed. And we take this theme from Acts chapter, uh, this theme from Acts chapter 3 verse 19 where Peter says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And so last week, we launched a brand new series called Death by Distraction, Taking Back Your Life. And Pastor Christian identified in in week number one that we have a serious problem here in the U.S. That problem is this, is that our neighborhoods and our cars are safer than they've ever been, that our food and water is healthier than any other place in the entire world, that our education system is strong, and that... On average, we make more than every developed country in the world. And yet, the United States leads the world in anxiety. 
In fact, in other countries, individuals exhibit one-fifth of the amount of anxiety that we experience here in the United States. And like our biblical narrative last week, Martha uh, experienced tremendous times of being distracted in her life. She experienced uh, uh, some moments of anxiety, and, and maybe that is what you've experienced as well. And that when you feel distracted and you have those moments of anxiety that you are distracted from what is most important. And so as we continue our series, Death by Distraction, Taking Back Your Life, I want you to turn in your Bibles today to Luke chapter 8. This is a great time to open up your Bible app or open up your JCI app. All of the notes will be in there as well as on the screen. And today we're going to find that Jesus shares a story or a parable to teach us why we are so distracted from what is most important in our life. Now, Jesus often used parables to teach. Parables were important to Jesus because parables were a spiritual truth disguised, disguised as a common everyday story. Parables were engaging and would often use a, an element of shock to grab the listener's attention. Parables were often short, straight to the point, and they never used more words than necessary. And Jesus ultimately used parables to change a behavior or an attitude and develop stronger followers. And so we're going to read one of his famous parables today. And you're going to find in the parable today that Jesus teaches that there are three things that prevent us from growing spiritually. Let's take a look at them today. It's in Luke chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 4. It says this, While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It, tr it was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on the rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants were withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. And still other seeds fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And when he had said this, he called out, whoever has ears, let them hear. Now let me pause for just a moment because oftentimes Jesus would teach a large crowd of people and in the crowd would be his disciples. And his disciples, I'm sure, were always an attentive, attentive listener. And on this day, like other occasions, Jesus finished teaching and then the disciples came up to Jesus. I can just picture it in, in, in my mind. The disciples came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, that was a really good story. That was a really good parable. What did it mean? That was a really good story. What does it mean? Well, this occasion, Jesus explains what the dis to the disciples what the parable meant. Let's take a look at verse 11. He says this, This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and when they, when the de then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in times of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, they produce a crop. 
Now, uh, for a period of time in, in college, I spent, uh, spent time in employment on a, on a guest ranch, Diamond Guest Ranch in Chugwater, Wyoming. It was one of my favorite jobs I've ever had. And I had a lot of responsibilities, but one of the jobs that I did not like that much was the job of going into a crop circle, a large crop circle. And my job was to, to remove big old rocks and boulders outside of the crop, get, get it outside of the field. And so we would move wheelbarrows at a time outside of this crop circle. And we did this primarily so that, the, so that the, it was easier to plow, so that it was easier to fertilize and, and plant new seed and, and water it more effectively. That was our job. And in our, our parable today on farming, Jesus identifies four conditions of the heart that, that we might experience today in this room. There's four conditions of the soil, four conditions of the heart that we might all have Today And three of those conditions are uh, conditions of the heart that prevent any type of spiritual growth. So we're going to take a look at, uh, at these one at a time today. The first one is a hard heart. Did you see that in verse 12? A hard heart. That's the first condition of the heart. Jesus says this, those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. When I've hiked in Colorado before, um, you, you walk along a path that is hard packed. Have you ever hiked on one of those before? No seed will ever penetrate. No growth will ever take place. It's very hard for water to penetrate because it's so hard. And, and the scary result of a hard heart is that the devil will devour any spiritual seed before it can ever take root. Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, he says this, Be alert and sober-minded, because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You see, any time the seed or the Word of God is shared, whether it's from a stage or in a conversation that takes place at a coffee shop, any time the Word of God is shared, there's a race to the heart. There's a race to the heart. To that seed. This last Christmas, we experienced one of our greatest uh, Christmas services ever. And we had over 140 people uh, make life decisions, make spiritual decisions for Jesus. It was amazing. Pastor Christian shared the truth about Jesus, he, uh, about him being the greatest gift to mankind. He shared how Jesus was the answer to an age-old problem, and that is sin in our lives. And, and the Word of God was shared, and at that moment, there was a race to the seed. Would that seed of faith take root and begin to grow, or would that seed fall on hard hearts? And the devil would come and quickly devour that seed before it would ever take root. You see, we have to be careful that we don't have a hard heart in our lives, that we, we outright reject anything spiritual. We outright reject anything about the church or anything about God or what the Bible might say. We have to be careful that our hearts are not hard to, re, to refuse to change any destructive lifestyle that we may have. We have to be careful that our hearts are not hard and we begin to think that we're too sophisticated for anything about faith or God or the Bible. You see, a hard heart is destructive and it will prevent you from any spiritual 
growth. And Jesus moves on and he talks about the second soil or the second condition of the heart that's destructive. And that is a, a rocky heart. A rocky heart is a destructive, uh, destructive heart condition. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in times of testing, they, they fall away. You know, I'm not very good at planting things and growing things, but when we lived in Florida, you can just about put anything in the ground and it'll grow. It, it was amazing. And I remember a time where we planted a row of shrubs in our front yard and all but one of the shrubs or all but one of the bushes would grow. And so I would uproot that shrub, throw it away, plant a new one. And this happened two or three times. And then I realized that I needed to maybe dig just a little bit deeper because the roots weren't taking hold. And as I dug deeper, I discovered that there was a big old block of concrete just below the surface that wasn't allowing the roots to take hold. You know, the same thing happens in our spiritual lives. Many people begin a relationship with Jesus Christ and they expect that all of life will be just smooth sailing and will just be so much easier. And everything, everything appears great at first, and, and then troubles come into our lives. Trials happen. Um, um, heartache takes place. And, and you may step back and you say, I didn't think it was supposed to be this difficult. I thought it was supposed to be much easier than this. And unfortunately, we still live in a broken world. We, we still live where times are absolutely difficult and we experience troubles in life. And see, Jesus never promised us that when you begin a relationship with him, that all of the troubles of our life would disappear. In fact, he stated just the opposite. In Matthew chapter 16, Matthew records a time when Jesus uh, informed his disciples that his time on this earth was coming to an end. It, it was coming Sure, it was drawing close and he was going to experience death on the cross. And Peter boldly steps up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, never you, Lord. This is not going to happen to you. It's not supposed to be this way. And then Jesus looked at Peter and he said, get away from me. You're only thinking about things on this earth. I'm about my father's business. I'm about to do what I am supposed to do here on this earth. And then Jesus continues to explain this, and I want to read it to you out of the Message Bible. He says this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat, I am. Don't run from suffering, embrace it. Follow me and I will show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you trade your soul for? You see, the sad result of a rocky heart is shallow spirituality that only wants blessings without sacrifice. That's the sad result of a rocky heart. It's shallow spirituality that only wants blessings without the sacrifice. We want all that's good without the hard work and the discipline and the sacrifice. And Jesus never promised us a comfortable life when we begin to follow him. But he did promise that we would live a life of purpose, 
we would live a life of significance. And when things get tough, when things get difficult, that he will never, ever leave us. And so the first destructive condition of the heart is a hard heart. The second destructive condition of the heart is a rocky heart. And then thirdly, where we want to spend the most of our time today, he says that there are thorny hearts. There are thorny hearts. And this may represent many of us in the room from time to time today. He says in verse 14, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, pleasures, and they do not mature. You know, I used to be certified as a first aid CPR instructor, and so I would go into classrooms and and I would go to businesses and teach the company how to do first aid, basic first aid and CPR. And I would get to a, a moment where I would talk about choking. And I would explain to them, listen, there is a sign to know that people are choking and they can't breathe. It's called the universal sign of choking, and that's two hands on the throat. And I don't know if you've ever seen that, but I've, I often giggled when I would explain it because I had never seen anybody actually choke to the point where they had to put two hands on their throat until two months ago. Just a few months ago, my son and I, we were at a team football dinner at Summit Christian Academy, and we were having a great time, and we were laughing with a bunch of his friends and a bunch of families around, and, and uh, <laughs> my son began to bang on my shoulder, and I looked over to my left, and he had two <laughs> hands on his throat. He was choking, and he couldn't breathe. And so we quickly ran out of the room, and whatever was in his throat was not coming loose. And so I was physically giving him the Heimlich maneuver to dislodge whatever was in his throat. And after about a minute, a minute and a half, finally it broke free. And what I discovered was is that he had been sucking on the cap of a water bottle and began to giggle and laugh and inhaled the cap of a water bottle, and it, dis- and it lodged in his side of his throat. Now, I don't know if you've ever sat and just stared at a water bottle cap or just looked at it. It's a fairly sig- insignificant piece of plastic, right? But, if, but for that moment in my son's life, it was preventing the only thing that would sustain his life, and that was oxygen. Now, hopefully he's learned his lesson from that, and parents use that Listen. Uh, Pastor Brandon's son almost died from sucking down a bottle, bottle cap. But listen, here's the point. It's fairly insignificant. And oftentimes, oftentimes, the painful result of a thorny heart is a busy life that is distracted by the less important things. That's the result of a thorny heart. It's a busy life that is choked and distracted by the less important things. Why are we so busy? Why are we so busy? Well, Jesus tells us. He says we're busy because of the worries, the riches, and the pleasures of this world. What are the worries? The worries are the abundance of things that pull us in different directions that dominate our thoughts and dominate our behavior. What what causes us the greatest amount of worry? Well, psychologists tell us it's really just four things. Uh, it's money in the future. It's, it's, it's not having enough money or not knowing what the outcome of this year or the next five years is going to look like. It's job security, whether 
Getting a job or keeping a job, job security worries us. Relationships cause us to worry, whether it's our marriage relationship or it's if you're single, maybe it's finding a future spouse or, or, or is, that, is that the plan for your life? Lord, those things worry us. And, and maybe it's our health, our health. Uh, are we eating the right food? Are we, should we go on a diet? Should we exercise more? Those kind of things worry us, and they dominate our thoughts and our behavior. And I found out about this in my own life. Whatever I'm most worried about keeps me the busiest. Have you ever seen that in your life? Whatever you're worried about the most will keep you the busiest. And so worries keep us busy. And then the, Jesus says the riches keep us busy. Riches are the abundance of possessions that just overwhelm us. I call it the more monster. The more monster are are the things um, that you just desperately want more of and more of. The more you get, the more you want. It's the desire for more and more and more. And this dominates our culture today. And if, if we're not careful, it will consume us and it will keep us busy. And then finally, he says pleasures. Pleasures are the abundance of things that give us personal gratification. If, if, if riches are the more monster, then pleasures is the me monster. The me monsters are the activities in my life that make me happy, that make me feel fulfilled without focusing on anybody else. And if we're not careful, the me monster will threaten our lives and will keep us busy and focused on what is not that important. And the thorny heart, listen, the thorny heart is not filled with things that are bad, but an abundance of things that will keep you busy. Let me say that again. The thorny heart is not filled with things that are bad, but of an abundance of things that will keep us busy. I've heard many preachers use this line. They say, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Have you heard that line before? If Satan doesn't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Now, I don't know if it's theologically accurate or not, but it's a little bit of truth in there. I sometimes struggle with this, the same thing. This busy, this me monster, this this more monster. And if I'm not careful, I'll, I'll lose sight of what is most important in my life. I get an opportunity to meet a lot of people and, and, and from time to time I sometimes say the wrong things when I get introduced to you, so forgive me if I've ever done that before. But one of the things I often ask is this, is, is how are you doing? How are you doing? And it's funny, when you ask how are you doing, very few people ever give you the real answer. It's a pretty deep question if you, if you think about it. How are you doing? You know, I've never met a person, when I've asked them, how are you doing, that said this, you know what, Brandon, I have a really hard heart and my life's full of sin. I've rarely ever had anybody tell me that. In fact, I've never had anybody say that. I've never had somebody say when I've met them for the very first time, how are you doing? And they respond, you know what, Brandon, I'm pretty spiritually shallow. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty shallow in my commitments. I just want you to know that. I've never had anybody say that to me. But I have had this. When I've asked somebody, how are you doing? They've responded this way. You know what? I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm really busy. Some of them, some people will actually say it as if they're wearing a badge of honor because they're so busy. Let me just say this from my heart to yours. Busyness is not healthy. Busyness 
is not healthy. We must be more intentional with our schedules and develop margin in our lives because if we don't slow down and become more intentional with our lives, we will always be distracted by the less important things. A distracted life is so dangerous. Did you see from the parable today, a distracted life accomplishes the same things as an encounter with the devil? Did you see that? A distracted life accomplishes the same thing as shallow commitments. What what does a distracted life accomplish? Listen, a distracted life doesn't produce any spiritual fruit. It doesn't. We will not spiritually mature and produce a crop like we've been called to do. And unfortunately, the danger of always being in a hurry and distracted is that we will miss the moments. We will miss the moments. We will miss the moments where God is trying to reveal himself to us. We will miss the moments to show kindness to others. Maybe we're so busy that we fail to see that somebody around us just needs a kind word, just needs kindness in their life. We'll miss moments where God's trying to teach us something or grow us in a particular area. We'll miss moments where God is trying to develop you and maybe develop others around you. A distracted life is dangerous. You know, I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago, and one of my favorite speakers was on this podcast being interviewed, and he was giving such great wisdom, and, 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 and he's been a pastor for years, and his name's John Orderberg. And, and, he, and he, he was talking about the busyness of his schedule and the busyness of life, and he said this to the interviewer. He said this, you know, being busy is an outer condition. Being hurried is a sickness of the soul. Being busy is an outer condition, but being hurried is a sickness of the soul. And perhaps being hurried describes you today. You're always in a hurry. You're hurried to get the kids to school. You're hurried to get to work. You're hurried to get to the gym or your kids' ball games or practices. You're hurrying everywhere you go. And you're running at a frantic pace and it's simply unsustainable. And you might be stepping back and saying, if life would just slow down, when in actuality you need to say, if I will just slow down, if I could just slow down. You know, hurry is a condition of my inner spirit, of your inner spirit, where I'm so preoccupied with myself and my agenda that I have no space to be present with God or present with other people. Have you been present in your family this week? Or have, been, have you been so hurried that you have been absent? You've been there, but you've been absent. In the same podcast, John Orderberg was asked this question, what's the greatest bit of advice that you've ever received as a pastor? And he said, my mentor, Dallas Willard, gave me this bit of advice that I'll never forget. He said this, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. So what's hurrying you today? Why do you feel rushed? Is it the worries, the riches, the pleasures of this life? And maybe you're sitting in your seat and you're saying, Brandon, if I don't hurry, I won't get anything done. I won't get everything done that I'm supposed to hurry, that I'm supposed to get done. 
if I don't hurry. Listen, eliminating hurry in your life doesn't eliminate planning and preparation. Eliminating hurry in your life actually escalates good planning and preparation. And we're starting to adopt this as a staff here at JCI. Back in November, Pastor Christian gave us the challenge to lay out on a sheet of paper what you want your perfect week to look like. Plan out Sunday, plan out Monday, plan out your entire week, hour by hour. Put in the time you want to spend with your family. Put in the time on paper when you're going to spend in your quiet time. Design your ideal perfect week. Put it on paper. And then he said this, look into 2018 and develop your R&R plan. What is your rest and relaxation plan? You need to build that out now. Look ahead because he was helping us with good planning and preparation. And so last week, you were given a challenge. We're calling it the No Distraction Challenge. Can I ask you, how'd you do this last week? Did you put it into practice? We're going to continue to remind you each and every Sunday for throughout this series to, to do the No Distraction Challenge. So let me help you today with just a couple thoughts. First, we want you to depart daily. Would you set your alarm just a little bit earlier this week so that you can spend 30 minutes every day reading your Bible, reading, uh, or reading your Bible, memorizing, meditating, or even prayer, and then look ahead at your day and review your daily schedule and, and see if there's anything in your daily schedule that will distract you from what is most important. And if you identify it, don't be afraid of getting it out of your schedule. Get rid of it. Get Move it. That may distract any, keep you from your family, your friends, or your personal growth. Get rid of it. Secondly, withdraw weekly. S take a day, two to six hours maybe this week, to devote to your spouse or your close friends with no distractions. Put away the phone. Put away the computer. And ask yourself, ask your friend, was I more engaged this week than I have been in the past. And then review your past week. Maybe at the end of this week, look back at your week and say, was I more focused this week? Was I more intentional with my time? Did I miss any moments this week? Withdraw weekly. And then we've challenged you to quiet quarterly. To designate four weekends in 2018, this year where you can spend undistracted time focusing on personal rest, and personal growth. Have you scheduled those dates? I encourage you to do that this week. And here's what I know. Put it on your calendar. Make it a sacred time that no one touches. Put those on your calendar because if you're like me, if you don't, it won't ever happen. And then lastly, have you planned out your vacations this year? Look at your calendar and your schedule and slot out your family vacations, your personal vacation time, and then go to the next step. Go to your employer, go to your supervisor this week and ask for that time off. Would you be more intentional with your schedule this week? Why? Because we want to ruthlessly eliminate hurry in our lives by being more intentional so that we can be focused on what is most important. Would you bow your heads with me for just a few moments?